Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. to the Retail Corner Podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Christine Kosturka, and I'm very excited about this conversation because as everybody knows, I'm a huge art fanatic, and she's the Director of Retail at the Philadelphia Museum. How are you doing today, Christine? I'm doing really well. How are you, Carlos? Oh, I'm doing phenomenal. Having an, another great week. It's coming to an end, but happy for the weekend. So you got any exciting plans? <laughs> Uh, just hoping that we're gonna get lots of people in the museum. <laughs> I'm actually, um, I'm actually going up to a trade show uh, in um, the Catskills this weekend. It's called Field Oh Nice Supply, and checking out some potential new vendors. So never not working is what I always awesome. say. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Hey, yeah. so Christine, before we really get into it, right? Can you tell us a little bit about about your background, right? How how you got into the museum retail? I think most people, sure. when they think retail, they never really think about museums, right? You really think about, you know, your typical brick and mortar locations and your clothing brands, but museums are a huge part of retail, right? And, and the gift shops mm-hmm. and everything that happens behind the scenes and and the after effect of going through a museum and looking at all the exhibits and the exposition and how people connect to that emotionally and how that translates into the actual purchase of retail merchandise to take that emotion as a souvenir back home, right? And so yeah. how, how did that, all that career start for you? How did you end up where you are today? But it actually started with art. Um, even though I've spent 30 years working, you know, uh, for profit retailers, I went to art school. I went to art school in New York City and, you know, I, I thought that I was going to be uh painting. I studied fine art and art education. So my intention was to be, you know, painting and then teaching a little bit on the side. And uh, when I when I graduated, it was really hard finding a job in the arts in New York. Um, a lot of things were being cut. A lot of programs for art and music were being cut at that time due to budgetary reasons. And um, I was given the opportunity to open up a store Actually, oh, wow. I was 22. My parents, uh, about six months after I graduated, they they retired and moved to Atlanta. So I was sort of like, okay, what am I going to do next? You know, I've got my BFA and I didn't know anything about retail, but, you know, I, I knew that there were similarities in terms of the idea of curation. And I really was always very interested in that. One of the last things I got to do um, at SVA for my senior class was to choose my classmates who would be getting an exhibition. And so in a way I was sort of curating the exhibitions for, you know, my, my, uh, my peers and, mm-hmm. you know, was always kind of interested in, in that sort of an idea. And so I really feet to fire kind of figured it out. I opened up this small store. It was about, I guess about a thousand square feet, maybe a little less just, uh, outside of New York city. And I went to my first trade show and I had to figure out what, you know, what everything meant. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't have a business background far from it. You know, I don't think I ever took a math class in, in uh, art school. 
And, um, but anyway, that's, that's kind of how I got started. I, you know, I just sort of figured things out very organically and, um, figured that I, I, I really grew to love the idea of retail and commerce and especially storytelling and marketing and working with vendors. And, you know, it, it really just kind of checked all the boxes of things that made me, um, you know, but gave me a lot of, of, um, happiness and, you know, you, you got to really love what you do. So I figured, you know, turn the wheel and, you know, 30 something years later, this is still what I'm doing. So. Um, oh, that's phenomenal. That sounds yeah. great. And, and I think, I think in a lot of ways, right. Retail, I, I don't think people really think about it from this perspective, but you just mentioned something that is so true, right? It, it's about storytelling. And I think yeah. nowadays more than ever before retail has been demanded to become a storytelling condition, right? Because consumers want to connect with the merchandise they're purchasing. And I think in a way it's now becoming a form of art because you have to tell that story without words, right? You have to tell that story at your store without yeah. you being physically present and explaining anything to the consumer and really allowing the way you're portraying the merchandise to tell that story and to make that connection with a potential consumer. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, some of the brands that I'm most interested in and, and find most inspiring do a great job of that. And I've actually been really fortunate, you know, after I closed my store to, to work for many of them, I went on to work for, um, what was called then the land of nod, which is now called Creighton kids. It's Creighton barrels, children's company. I did mm. all of their product development and buying for hard goods and just an incredible opportunity to work for a brand that was, you know, really, um, based upon whimsy and, and telling the stories about how the products were, what they were inspired from and, and by, we did a lot of our product development from vintage. So we would go to, you know, thrift stores and flea markets and things and find kind of vintage things and give them a new life. And then I, you know, I went on to work for Martha Stewart and nobody really was a better storyteller than, than she was. Mm -hmm. at the time and, and even now, and then, uh, urban outfitters. So, I've, you know, I've worked for some brands that really uh, value the importance of storytelling in, in merchandising and recognize how important the marketing and merchandising are really walking, you know, in step. Absolutely. Absolutely. And talking about storytelling, right? Tell us a little bit more about, I know museums, they, they rotate exhibitions, right? And they're constantly moving, making changes, right? In order to get yeah. guests to come back in the doors, right? So how does that penetrate or impact the retail aspect of the area of the museum? Well, I mean, it's, it's a tried and true, uh, method, obviously, you know, the exit through the gift store, um, it, it, it isn't always successful. I'll tell you, there are some exhibitions that are really hard to merchandise. Um, you know, either we can't get the licensing that happened with, um, we had a major exhibition a couple of years ago was Jasper John's retrospective in conjunction with the Whitney. And, you know, of course would love to have, you know, had the opportunity to, to work with his, um, his artwork and, and he really wasn't interested um, so sometimes, you know, it's, you're kind of at the mercy of, of what you have to work with. Um, but in the cases where it does work really well, like for example, last year at this time, we were just about to open a Matisse exhibition. It was Matisse in the 1930s and it was a really beautifully uh, curated um, exhibition. And uh, we created a store that was sort of an extension of the exhibition. We did a lot of research with the curator and we actually created a space that looked like his studio. We looked at a lot of photographs of 
where he worked uh, down to the wallpaper that we chose wow. for the walls, uh, the music that we played. He was a huge collector of textiles, all types of textiles. Um, and so we had those hanging and, you know, there was a lot of correlation back to the items in the store. Um, one of my favorite ones, I think, was um, we worked with a, a milliner based in Brooklyn uh, called Bengtazo, and she took images of women wearing hats. There were a lot of portraits of women in, in Paris wearing these lovely cloches from the 30s and other types of hats, too. And she recreated the hats uh, based on the hats that the women in the paintings were wearing. Um, wow. And that was just a, an amazing um uh, opportunity for people to kind of, you know, uh, experience that moment of like exiting the exhibition and then being able to try on a, a hat that was very similar to a hat that was, you know, just in, in the painting that they saw. So that was a really, really fun exhibition to, um, to curate and, and beyond storytelling, I would say for, for museum exhibitions, it's it really about education, you know? So, you know, we talked a lot about you know, the reasons why we made some of the decisions we did. And, and we trained our, our sales staff to also be thinking that way and our buyers to be thinking that way so that everybody that walked in there sort of got it. Um, we had a lot of signage explaining why, you know, there were, you know, for example, uh, you know, Suzani um, textiles hanging and the reason and the reason why we, we made some of those decisions were based on, you know, Matisse and, and how he how he lived, what his studio was like back then. So. Um, and, you know, that was that was a really, really fun um, opportunity. And, and we like to think about the stores in general, not just the exhibition stores, as an extension of the galleries. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, uh, you know, a lot different challenges come right when it comes with the retail, the, the, the gift shop, right, museum experience versus mm -hmm. your typical brick and mortar retail. Yeah. Right? And what are some of those challenges that you guys experience in comparison to the typical retail? Yeah, well, you know, for one thing, um, we're serving a lot of different people. I mean, everybody, it's a, it's a public institution. So unlike mm -hmm. going to a brand or, or buying for a brand, um, you know, it, there's not really a singular focus. Uh, you know, that was really something that we thought a lot about when we opened up our new stores. I, I should mention that when I started in February of 2019, the museum was just about to open 90,000 square feet of space, um, along with Frank Geary, who was the architect for the program, for the project, and he planned three brand new stores. And so wow. we had this really unique opportunity um, to start completely fresh. And so we had to really give a lot of thought to what does it mean to be not only to be a museum store, but to be a museum store in this institution, in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and so I would think, you know, coming up with a point of view, I wouldn't necessarily call it a challenge in as much as maybe an opportunity to kind of just come up with an identity. Uh, yes, you know, we do sell postcards with images from the collection and we sell, you know, pins and posters and, you know, lots of other types of traditional um, souvenir merchandise, but we also have an opportunity to think about what we what we can do from a local perspective. And so we brought in the work of uh, when we opened up the first store, um, the work of about 20 local artisans. Philadelphia has a really vibrant, thriving maker community, and, and we've met so many incredible makers. And that number has grown now to um, over 100. And um, it's been really our favorite part of uh, 
of, of the stores has been working with local makers and, and really, you know, giving them an opportunity um, to work with the museum and work with the collection for inspiration. Wow. And, and when it comes, obviously, right, talking about local artists and talking about putting that influence, in, as you very well mentioned, right, you guys don't have a specific target market audience because everybody comes in, right, from kids to grandpa to mom and dad. Um, using digital platforms, right, obviously they have become very, very important for every aspect of retails. Um, are you guys leveraging that or is that still something that it's coming up in the future? How, how is the leveraging of the digital platforms from the Michigan perspective? Yeah, well, we, um, so after we opened up that store, which was September of 2019, you know, six months later, everything shut down. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so we were getting ready to open up the two additional stores and we had to really come to a standstill because of COVID. Um, but it gave us the opportunity to rethink our digital platform, to launch an Instagram feed, also to launch a brand new website. Our website was really antiquated. It was difficult to work with. Everything had to be programmed. Um, we chose an out-of-the-box solution Solution. We work with big commerce. We've been really happy with that relationship um, and, you know, great customer service and, you know, just kind of easy to populate. Um, and so, you know, our biggest opportunity, I guess, or, or the biggest challenge and opportunity, the challenge, of course, is you can't always dictate who's coming in the door. You know, uh, if, the, if the weather um, you know, prevents people from traveling or, you know, or there's a pandemic, um, you know, we were <laughs> for quite a while, uh, or maybe it's an exhibition that's, you know, not as popular as a Matisse exhibition. And maybe people aren't really aware or, you know, it's not driving the, the attendance um, in that way. We have an opportunity to obviously control what we have on our digital platform on our on our website. And so, you know, we started selling products that would appeal to people who maybe have never even been in the museum or even in Philadelphia before. Um, mm -hmm. we, we ship products actually all over the world. Um, and that's really been eye-opening just in terms of, you know, th that type of thinking. Um, so, you, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you have a very much brick and mortar, um, you know, of the moment experience where you have to be, you know, in the exhibition, in the exhibition shop in order to experience retail. And then the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, somebody who, again, maybe has never even been to the museum or, or to the city and is really just looking at you as um, a, a great, you know, store um, uh -huh. and, you know, looking at the assortment. So, you know, we also do think about that, that difference of customer, like, yes, it is very broad, but we do try to have something for the people who just really want a souvenir of the museum or the city. And then there's also people who walk in the doors or log on and, and look at our website and expect to find something because we're a museum store that they've never seen before. You know, there's a, a different standard, I think, um, you know, they're expecting to kind of be wowed. <laughs> and, you know, that's how we sort of have challenged ourselves is in really using that filter of, and thinking about those surprise and delight moments are so important. Absolutely. And with that, I'm sure as you guys are always looking for unique merchandise and, and of course, unique experiences within the museum, uh, things are ever continuously changing, right? And I think the past five years, they have been tremendous change for everybody within the yeah. retail right where do you think those those big changes are driving you know the retail museum experience do, do you what, what do you guys foresee coming in the future that you think it's gonna 
be an opportunity? Yeah, well, I mean, I can just speak to this institution. I mean, um, we've put a lot of focus, rightfully so, as have a lot of institutions over the past few years on serving the community, um, Mm -hmm. not just protecting the collection. And so, you know, making sure that we have diversity in terms of the vendors that we work with, in terms of those local artists that we represent. Um, One of my favorite collaborations is Center for Creative Works. Um, They're a group of neurodiverse artists based in Philadelphia and um, their work is phenomenal and they show in galleries all over the country um, and they're working with us to produce some holiday products which we're really excited about. Um, you know, we've worked with other nonprofits in the city where, you know, we give back a percentage, even though we ourselves are a nonprofit, you know, we feel Mm -hmm. an obligation to support other nonprofits and their mission as well. And, you know, it's that kind of idea. Yes, it's storytelling, but for me, I think it's also really essential. Um, you know, there's a feel good aspect to it. I think we all are working in a museum because, you know, not only is it a pleasurable experience to, to be around such beautiful art, but also we really take seriously the idea of serving the public, um, educating the public, you know, providing an experience for the public. And for me, part of that is giving opportunity to a wide range of vendors. And so that that has been, you know, definitely um, a big focus and will continue to be a focus for us. I would say the other thing that I'm really excited about, and you can kind of see a little bit of it behind me, is Uh the idea of, you know, print on demand. Um, I think one of the challenges coming from a big company like an Urban Outfitters, where we were literally buying container loads of merchandise to a museum, where obviously the turn is not quite as quick, uh, you know, and, and our inventory needs are not as as um, needing to be as deep, um, is this idea of, you know, printing on demand, obviously not a new idea in retail, uh, but definitely something that is just starting to be thought of in, in the museum space. So we already have a program that's an art on demand program where we ship, you know, uh, prints and framed work uh, we have about 400 works in our collections. People can go on our website and order it, and they're they're actually printed on demand in, in Austin. Um, but we're just about to launch our very first collab and, and licensing opportunity um, with this a wonderful company that I have worked with in the past called Cloth & Co. They're based just out of Chicago, and um, they manufacture furniture on demand. They have wide-scale digital printers, and so they can take any image. And, of course, we have nothing but images, 270,000. Uh, objects in our collection and they can, you know, um, size them accordingly and they can print upholstery fabric on demand. So what you're seeing behind you is our first collaboration with uh, five women um, from G's Bend, Alabama. They're uh, quilt makers, very well known. Um, And so we're working with their estates to license the rights to use the designs um, on furniture. And so we're going to launch this both on our website and they are launching it uh, in two weeks um, at High Point. The high wow. furniture market. And, and so this is terribly exciting for me. I feel like from a museum perspective, you know, certainly licensing is something that's very common, again, in traditional retail, but for the museum world, um, really just larger museums have done this. And I, I think it's really an opportunity that hopefully will will spread. Um, and I feel like it's an opportunity, you know, on both sides, there's the halo effect of brands working with museums. And there's certainly the opportunity for museums to work with different brands who can maybe help, you know, carry the weight of some of the higher minimums that come with projects like this. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And and you're talking about obviously about copywriting and licensing, right? Obviously, it's something that you probably yeah. deal with a lot for every single product that you want to put out there. Yeah. So what what are some of the the processes that you guys go through when you do that, right? Does it really limit your ability to have merchandise at the right time at the right place because you're yeah. negotiating all those things and that that time period can be much longer than you would like? Or, um, you know, or, or how are you, do you guys leverage the, all of that? I mean, we definitely have to factor that into our timeline because mm. as the example that I gave you before with Jasper Johns, you know, um, there really wasn't an opportunity. And so we had to kind of think about what might some other objects be, what, what other products could we potentially put, you know, in a, in a small way and like a little pop-up in a gift store, um, but, you know, it, it does limit it, I guess, in the sense that we can't always license what we would like to license. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are limitations regarding what we can do and the use of it. We've been very fortunate, though, in having some wonderful relationships with, you know, some some uh, very important um, artists, uh, estates. Duchamp is one of them. Um, we have the largest collection of Duchamp's work in, uh, in the United States. And it's really what part of what this institution is known for. And, um, and we've worked with them directly. I've actually traveled to their offices in Paris and pitched them on some ideas and they've pitched some ideas directly to us. And, um, we launched uh, a collaboration with Blackwing Pencils actually. Um, wow. and Duchamp, uh, celebrating, it was actually this past month was the 50th anniversary of a major retrospective of Duchamp's work at the museum. And um, and so we launched this really wonderful box of um, pencils that um, has the names of each titles of each of his works on uh, Im embedded in each of the pencils. And then it comes with a little mini surprise poster that was a replica of the 1973 exhibition poster. So, wow. yeah, we, you know, we've been able to do some, some fun things, you know, it, it, it isn't always possible. We can't always do everything that we'd like to do. Uh -huh. Um, but you know, my hope is that we're going to get lots more opportunities to license both with artists as well as with other brands. Um, we have some ideas kind of cooking that we're, we're pretty excited about. So we'll see what happens. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. I think when those things finalize cooking, please make sure to reach out to us. We'd love to share with our audience. That sounds great. I absolutely will. Thank you. Yeah, and so I always like to ask this last question for everybody, sure. right? And, and it is, if you had one piece of advice, right, for everybody as they're embarking in their careers or maybe they're going through a career change, right? Because uh, yeah. we have a lot of entrepreneurs, we have a lot of professionals and executives that listen to our podcast. What would be your one piece of advice that you would like to share with them after your, your journey so far? Yeah, that's a pretty easy one for me. Um, one of the things I've been fortunate to do over the past year is uh, to, to teach. Um, I'm an adjunct professor at Drexel University at Westfall uh, College of Media and, and Design and uh, just started actually started up again last week teaching retail ops. And the nice. very first thing, the very first day of class, I tell every student that I've uh, worked with um, is to stay curious and that's something that has always served me my whole life. I mean, and I also tell them, you know, once you're in this business, you really don't ever shut it off. Like kind of not kidding when I'm saying like, I'm always working. I'm never not working. Your antenna mm -hmm. is always up. You know, even if you're going to get something to eat, you're always looking at, you know, the signage, the merchandising, the, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. Shopping is an integral part of our lives. And because we do this for a living, um, you know, 
it, it's just always around us. But, you know, the idea of just staying curious and, and always learning um, is something that has really served me well and certainly has served me well in working in, you know, one of the world's best art museums um, to be surrounded by all, not only all of this beautiful art, but also, you know, the history and the learning. Um, I have such incredible colleagues and they've been so so supportive of the work that I do. So, you know, very collaborative with curators in the way that I might have been in a past life with a creative director. Um, and so, you know, that type of learning is really serving me well, but yes, that is the one piece of advice that I would always give, you know, no matter what context you're in, you know, stay curious, um, always be learning and, and to take a little bit of risk too, I guess that would be part of, part of, part of that, um, sentiment. No. I think it's phenomenal. I really like a phrase that I think goes with what you're saying. You know, if if you, every day you learn something new, then it's not a wasted day. You yeah. know, and and I think you're absolutely right. Like it always stay curious and always try to learn something new because even yeah. through our entire lifespan, we will never finish learning. You know, and and, and yeah. really discovering new things. So, so thank true. you so much, Christine, for your time. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. it. It sounds so exciting what you guys are doing and the fact that you're looking to collaborate with retail companies, you know, and I think that that sounds phenomenal. I think that's a great opportunity. Um, yeah. And for everybody listening to our podcast, guys, you know, if you're in Philadelphia at any time, go visit the museum and yeah. also check out their website. You know, they're, they're making things change so that you can take a piece of art and a piece of the Philadelphia Museum to your home. <laughs> Thanks so Thank much. You. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.